We're continuing in Romans chapter 8. We're down to verse 28. And we know that God causes, some translations say, but most of them say, we know that he causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, that nullifies most professing Christians. Most people think, well, I'm born again, then that includes me. No, it doesn't. Two things have to be considered here for those who love God. If you're not following the Lord, obeying the Lord, you do not love God. This scripture does not apply to you. Okay? And those who are called according to his purpose, called in Christ Jesus, we're placed in the body. We have function. We have duties to the Lord. And if we're not finding his will and doing his will, this scripture does not apply. All things will not work for your good. So see, people think that's a blanket statement. It's not. So we understand then that the Spirit, we're going to see here from the previous verse, he intercedes according to God's will. Therefore, God will work all things for those who love God. He's talking about the ones that are in Christ, that walk in Christ, that are led of him and keep his commandments. Not the lip service, not the ones who say, Lord, Lord, but do as they please. Not most nominal Christians. Most people that consider themselves Christians, you'll find according to scripture, are not Christians. They have religion. They confess and believe that Jesus is the Lord. And Jesus will deny them at the great judgment, and he'll say, I never knew you. He never claimed them at all. But they believed he was their Lord, but they believed wrong. Sin deceived them. Okay? So many professing Christians, they look at the knowledge of God's word, and they don't want to understand it. They don't want to obey it. They don't follow it in their lives. So this is not true. Things will not work together for their good. Okay? We'll find that many things God will not work together for our good if we're not in Christ Jesus. So it only applies to those who are true Christians and who are following the Lord, who are being led of the Spirit. The scripture said, we read it, who are the sons of God, the children of God, those who are led of the Spirit. That means you have to follow. That means he's the master and Lord. He cannot be Savior and not be Lord. A lot of people think that's true. Oh, I've got my salvation, but I'm just not following the Lord. Because you're a deceived person. Disciple, believer, person that's saved, they're interchangeable words. They're not separated. They're only separated to explain the depths of certain words. Like Christ, his character is like a diamond. It has many facets. But you cannot take a facet out and say, this is God. It's included and everything else about God. So when people try to distort Scripture, add to it and take from it, this is called heresy. It's no longer the truth when you take a few Scriptures out and exclude what was written before and what was written after. So a lot of people think, well, all we need is five or six Scriptures to get people saved. You're false. You don't understand true Christianity. Jesus said, go into all the world 
and make disciples of all men, teaching them to observe everything I told you. He didn't say to teach them five scriptures on how to be saved, because salvation was not a separate gift from Christ. Salvation is only in relationship with God. As we've said, we have eternal life as we stay in the vine. And if we don't, we don't have eternal life. We will be cut off from this vine. Okay. First John chapter 2, look at 5 and 6. But whosoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is completed in him. And by this we know that we are in him and God. He who says he abides in him ought also to walk as he walked. Well, how did he walk? Christ walked in obedience and perfectly obeyed the Father and did the things that pleased him. So he's telling us what a true Christian is like, okay? We have to keep his word to be in the love of God. Most people's love of God is sentimentality. They sing a song and their emotions feel good. They think it's God. It has nothing to do with God. The people in the occult, in voodooism, and farm religions bounce around on the floor and yell and have emotional spasms. Don't prove nothing. People do that in a baseball game when their team's winning. Or if they win the lottery, they'll jump up and down and scream and holler. These are human emotions that react to various things. There's no proof that it's God or not God. What proves it's God is the foundation. Do you love God and do you obey Him? That's only what God wants. That's the foundation. Then all of the moods and feelings fine with Him, but they are not the basis. And I've had many people tell me in counsel, well, I love God. And I said, well, you're a liar because you're living in adultery. You're practicing it. You've made a life of it. How can you say you love God? Scripture says you say you love God and you're evil, uh, walking in darkness. You're a liar and the truth's not in you. Now, that's God's statement. That's not some false minister trying to pacify you and make you feel secure in your sins. They're false shepherds, okay? Then we go to John, the Gospel of John. We'll go to 1510 first. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, you notice he didn't say if you sing praises and you feel good and you tell me how much you love me and all this. And you tithe and you give money and you help. He didn't say that right then. See, because that's not, that can be a part of it. But if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. In other words, you do not keep my commandments, you will not remain in my love. And the Father will cut you off from the vine. See, people don't want to hear that because it scares them. It should scare them. The scripture says the way is narrow and few there be that find it. And few there be that seek it either. But whose fault is that? They have the ability, God's given it to them, to act at a certain level. And if they do, he responds. And if they don't, then he responds differently. Okay. He said, just as I kept my father's commandments and I remain in his love. Now, he was on earth talking as the man, as the prophet, as the teacher. And he was saying, I obey the Lord. He didn't say he loves me because I'm the son of God. He didn't say he loves me because I'm sinless now. I'm born. Uh -uh. What did he base it on? I keep his commandments. I do what he tells me. He's my Lord. 
So he submitted his humanity and followed the Lord and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. In other words, you don't follow Jesus and obey him. You're his enemy. See, John said, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make God your enemy. You cannot be done. So he's telling us something plain, and people like to skip over this and grab one scripture and think it's all-inclusive, for God so loved the world. Well, sure he did. And in benevolence, he gave the gospel. But the same ones as a whole, it says the wrath of God remains on them. He hates their sin, and eventually he'll despise the sinner. And he'll cut him off and cast him into the lake of fire. And these are the same people he says he so loved. See, he doesn't love them of covenant love. That's for his own. But he has benevolence and goodwill, and he has no desire in the death of the wicked, but they turn. So that's his love, his goodwill. While they're even evil, he provides things for them. It rains on the just and the unjust. Parts of nature don't respond individually. The wicked can receive the blessings, the same as the righteous. But this, for God so loved the world, is God's attitude. I'm going to redeem man that wants to be redeemed. But I'm not going to forget their sins if they don't repent. And if they don't come to my son, I will curse them at the end. See, they need to know that and stop talking about this sentimental love that has no basis in Scripture, okay? Then John 14, we will back up a little. 14.21, for he who has my commandments and keeps them. So it's not enough to hear the word of God. Now people, uh, they want something different. Their mind is always after something different because a lot of times it's carnal. It just wants knowledge. But Bible knowledge is meant to be put to practice. If not, you don't need to study the Bible. If you're studying it to get a doctorate or you want to know this and that, it's foolishness if you don't have no intentions of following the Lord. It'll be more used against you in the day of judgment. So people don't understand that. They will be held accountable. So they need to take seriously the word of God. So whoever, he says, has my commandments and keeps them, does them, obey them. That's what it means. He is the one who loves me. See? He doesn't say, he who sheds crocodile tears. He who praises and sings wonderful songs. Then he goes home and lives his pleasurable sins. They don't love God. Oh, I've had many people say, well, you don't know that, but I love God. I said, I do know. You're living in sin. You've told me. So you can't love God, not according to God's word. You may love him according to your sentimentality, and it means nothing to God. Doesn't mean I owe it to him. Because that's not what he bases it on. Moods and feelings and sentimentality and things, they have their place, a person who's walking in the Lord. Otherwise, they don't count for anything. The sacrifices of the wicked are detestable to the Lord. He wants nothing from them but repentance. Okay. And he who loves me, the one who keeps my commandments, is what he's talking about, is the one that loves me will be loved by my Father. See, that's interesting. That's the one that God loves and will be in covenant with is the one who keeps his word. So this goes further than for God to love the world. 
That includes everybody. Long as they're alive or haven't blasphemed the spirit, uh, there's hope and good intentions that God wants them to repent. He says he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they turn. Okay. And I will love him. He will not love the one with godly covenant love who doesn't keep his commandments. And I will make myself known to him. He does not do that to the world that he gave his son for, that he so loved, see, not until they enter the covenant. But his intentions and benevolence, he's willing. He makes the extension of his grace. He can do that. But it's not going to save them. And if they reject the message, it's not going to save them. So that love is going to be useless. It's like Paul says, it will be given like grace and vain. It will not accomplish anything. Most people who have the gospel preached to them do not receive the gospel. And even when the true gospel is given by inspiration of the Spirit, it still doesn't affect them because they choose not to receive it. So they've been given grace and vain. And they will answer for that in God's holiness one day. So he also applies, again, we see the scripture, those who love God and those who are called for his purposes. It means his will, his plan in Christ, his plan for the church, for the body of Christ, for his members. Now we look at verse 814. We're going back a little. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. In other words, you can say this, if you're not led by the Spirit, you're not His. <laughs> Very plain and simple. People like to dance around it. Well, I'm just not following the Lord now. Well, He's not yours then. And Paul said it, if you practice these sins, you'll not make it to heaven. He doesn't split hairs and say, you have to do this and this exactly. He leaves a question for people. Let them question whether they're still a Christian. You don't confirm a person in their Christianity who's living in sin. Make them doubt their Christianity. Because Paul said, perhaps you've been disqualified. He doesn't condone them and, and, and give them assurance that they're still in the Lord when they're living in sin. You don't find that in Scripture. You find that given by false shepherds and sentimental teachers that want to please the flock so they can get more money out of them. Okay? So this does not apply, okay? You come back again to those who are called according to his purpose, not your purpose, his purpose. So this doesn't apply to the carnal, the worldly, the lukewarm, and the backslider. Now remember, carnal here has several meanings. Now when he was reproving part of the Corinthians, when he called them carnal, he meant you act natural of the world, earthly. But the other context of carnal is wickedness and evil, which he says produces death. So there is a distinction here. One of them has the mind of the Antichrist and is the enemy of God. See, those who live in sin. So if you cease bearing fruit, you cease following the Lord, and you are practicing the gross sins that Paul named a bunch of them, and he said, and the such like. In case you haven't found your sin in there, he's telling you to such like, okay? He speaks out about him. He said, then you do not love God. See, he refutes what you say. This love is not real godly love, a mere sentiment, 
a liking, an affection. Not what God says love is to him. He has the right to tell you what it is. The foundation of loving God is always obedience and following the Lord. Of course, you already confessed him and believe he is the Savior, and you get your sins forgiven, but you stay in Christ by following him. He cannot be your Lord if you do not follow him. If you got saved, then you're not going to stay saved. You got the wrong kind of religion. Because John meant when you believe in the Lord, you believe to follow. It wasn't just a lip service belief. If you confess the Lord, you were persecuted because you were following him. So that's why John marvels when he looks down at the world, all the billions of people claim to be Christians, and John must think, oh my goodness, they don't suffer for the Lord, they don't follow the Lord, the whole world thinks they're Christians and they're not. That's why he marveled, okay? All other sentiments, emotions, affections, giving, singing, all of this is nothing to God if you're not going to follow and obey him. See, it's very simple. A lot of people think they're going to weigh their good against their bad. It doesn't work that way. The rich young ruler did all wonderful things. And the Lord said, but you lack one thing. Sell everything you got. Why? Because he was covetous. He broke one command there, which led to others. But he was sincere. And the Lord said he loved him and he was trying to get him to follow him. But he couldn't give up his love of money and the power of money. And so he couldn't be a disciple. Just one thing. James says, if you offend at the law of love, the law of liberty, in one area, you're guilty of all. So a lot of people think, well, I do this and this and it'll make up for this. No, it won't. See? You don't understand what it means and what God requires of us, okay? And those who are in him. So the union with Christ is a spiritual love and it's an obeying, abiding, and therefore proves that many are not Christians. So everything will not work for your good if you're not following the Lord and obeying him. You're just giving the Lord lip service. And that kind of love will be rejected, and the end will be the second death. He will not accept this. And so those millions that say, Lord, Lord, he says, I don't know you. You're cursed of my father. You didn't do his will. And they talked about all the good things they did, but he said, you didn't do my will. So you did what you wanted to do. You thought these things were so great, and you did it at the exclusion of following me. You thought it would be acceptable, but it's not. So you decided what you thought God should accept, and he doesn't accept the sacrifice of wicked. He doesn't want it. It's an insult to it. So if you're not taking up the cross daily, and you're replacing that with your own will and desires, then we are not loving God. And it proves we're not called according to his purposes, his pleasure, and his will. Very simple. So a lot of people, they'll look at that scripture again, and they'll try to wiggle around it. Well, you just don't understand. Uh, what saved all they saved? Yeah. And once you're in the lake of fire, you'll always be there too. That's what's going to be the shocker for the wicked. He will not enlighten the wicked when they persist in their stubbornness against him.
For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Read this. People don't like this part. And he will be the firstborn among many Christians. Now, all of this predestination election that the Calvinistic people teach is heresy and false doctrine. It makes God a devil. God does not determine before you're born whether you go to heaven or hell. That's a lying shepherd telling you that, misrepresenting God, and he's going to a deeper hell for doing this. He depicts God as a monster, holding babies and children responsible, and they don't know the law. Even the scripture says where there is the law, sin is not imputed. And the Lord's sacrifice covers even those who walked in the light and didn't have the light. He came to redeem. It's not so much the love of God if he selects a few people. This is selfishness of God. He's a respecter of persons. He's a monster. I'm not afraid to say that because the people that teach that are going to hell. They misrepresent God. God's foreknowledge as far as what he knows doesn't know doesn't affect anything as far as the individual. He can be grafted in the vine or taken out. He can choose. So what God knows is none of our business. He doesn't even seek to explain it. But he's fair and just in all of his dealings. So how can it be fair and just to predestine someone to go to hell 400 years ago, whether he's done good or bad? That's a bunch of nonsense, foolishness. God will give them over to evil spirits. Okay, He foreknows, he predestines. This is corporate mainly he's talking here. He's not talking about the individual. He's talking about the body of Christ, the church. And remember the body of Christ, the olive tree. Like Paul said, you can be grafted in and you can be grafted out. You can abide in Christ as a branch or you can be cut off. He told the Gentiles, you know, rejected the Jews as a whole, but he had individuals that were still being saved that were Jewish, the disciples and apostles. And then he tells the Gentiles, but because of his goodness, he's accepted you. And if you don't remain in his goodness, he'll cut you off also. But the church and the vine are going to stand. All it takes is two people to have the church. In the whole world, if there were just two people left, that's the church. But there'll be more than that. And the gates of hell will not prevail. People like to apply that to themselves. as they know That does not say. People say, I read the end of the book and we win. You may not win. The church does. But if you don't abide in Christ and abide in his will and follow him, you'll be cut off. That's a promise he gives you. People don't like those kind of promises, do they? So he has pre-planned, foreknows. He's pre-planned to redeem mankind through Christ. That was the plan that he laid at the foundation that he knew that he had ready when Adam and Eve sinned. So he does not choose people for heaven or hell. That's heresy before they're born. So again, they make God a monster and a devil. His plan, he foresaw that he wanted his church, the corporate, the plural, will be chosen, called, and faithful. That was his plan. So if you get in with the plan, that applies to you. And if you don't... Get in with the plan. You forfeit anything he offers you. So what is his great plan? People don't like to talk about that. Okay. If he's foreknown and he's predestined, then he's going to have a special kind of people because in Christ, 
and his son. And, but you notice the word here, people don't look at it good. He predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. So if you're not conformed to his image, you're not in this. <laughs> you're not part of the church. If you're not conforming to Christ and bearing fruit and being led of him, you're not his. And you'll be cut off if you were. See? Makes it a lot easier to understand, doesn't it? The gates of hell cannot prevail against the true church. And the true church is going to be like the days of Lot and Noah as we get darker and darker. But there's still going to be a church if there's two people. It's the ones in Christ. The ones who are in the vine bearing fruit. The ones that are overcoming. The others, they're not conformed to Christ. So they're not included in this plan. The train is going. God has set the train and the ship. This is what I'm doing. Now you can jump overboard or you can stay with the ship. You can get on the train or off the train, but here's where the train's going. So you determine if you want to go where the train goes. That's up to man to do that. Okay. So he wanted them, the church, to be conformed to the image of his son. Because the Son eventually will be returned to glory, and he's one with the Father. He is the Almighty. He is the everlasting Father. He is that Spirit, Paul says. See, it's Christ in us. God is in us through Christ and his Spirit, see? Man tries to separate too much about God. He has explained some things. We just, things some are applied, but not that heavily. But he is the great God the Almighty. He's one with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, okay? And his glory's been restored, and he's that way now. And yet he has the human body that acts as the mediator in heaven for us. And yet he can indwell the believer. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory, okay? And these whom he predestined, he also called. So he made this plan for the church and what he wanted in Christ Jesus, and then he began to call those to this plan. And when they responded to the call, they are justified. And whom he justifies, he glorifies. See, But it, it's dependent on them conforming to the plan and to the image of Christ. That's what it depends on. So his plan to conform to Christ the Son He's the firstborn of many brethren, okay? The people that are predestined are those who are in the church. Uh -huh. He called them. He gave the gospel to them. He invited them to himself. Even we were yet sinners. We were under the power of the devil and sin. He invited us. He extended grace and mercy for God so loved the world. It was his intention to show benevolence and offer them a peace treaty. So he called them, and the ones that responds, he chooses and elects to place them in Christ, the church, and the body. He didn't elect them before they were born, no more than he elected the good angel. They were elected from the beginning of the created to be good and the others elected to be evil. They elected to stay. See, the words sometimes mean differently what we make them mean today. They were elected and chosen because they responded to the call and the angels did not fall. So they're called the elect angels. They elected to stay with the Lord. 
and they didn't fall like one-third of the angels did. So he calls those, and they respond to him. They become the chosen, the elected. They are placed in the body of Christ. They are in Christ. Christ is in them. And by justifying and sanctifying and cleansing them for the sins, the Holy Spirit does this. When he enters them, when he begins to purify them, their conscience and their spirit, and then he indwells them when he does it. He doesn't indwell a dirty temple. And he does his best to keep it clean. And if it doesn't respond properly, he departs from it. Like he did in Ezekiel, they saw the Spirit of the Lord depart from these wicked people. And he cursed the temple that he promised to bless if they obeyed him. Well, they didn't obey him. So as they abide in Christ, remember we're under a probation to bear fruit in our lifetime. We are to obey to the end of our warfare. We're to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. That is what we do. Then we're overcomers, okay? Permanent overcomers. And then he glorifies us. He puts us in a state of eternal life and permanent eternal life in his new heaven and new earth. So that's what his intention and the plan was to predestine. He foreknew, he called, and those who responded, he justified. And eventually he will glorify. He'll take them into heaven because he's conforming them to the image of Christ. And if they're not being conformed, as Paul said, if you practice these wicked things, you will not inherit heaven. He didn't say if you believe that Jesus is the Lord. He didn't say if you confess Jesus as your Savior, that he's that. That's only one part of Scripture. People take them out of context. They always want to just believe in the Lord. That is what that word believe means. There's no overcoming, no fruit bearing, no obedience, no spiritual works, then you're not in Christ. Very plain and simple. You choose not to follow him. Then 31, he goes to subject a little different. What shall we say to these things? What he's just told us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, many are sinning, practicing, professing Christians claim that scripture. While they're living in sin, they're sitting there saying, well, who can say anything against us? It's God's grace. Lying fools. They go weep and wail in eternity in hell when they find out how foolish they were and wicked and stupid they were. And that's what God's opinion is going to be. It says he will despise their soul. He will have total disregard for those that enter hell. He don't give them a good thought ever. It's the wrath of God, the consuming fire. See, they don't want to talk about that side of the Lord. But even Paul warns us about that side of the Lord, okay? To serve him with reverence and godly fear, he says in Hebrews, for our God is a consuming fire. He's not talking about holiness in itself. He's talking about his wrath on the wicked. So he warns the Christian, you live right and serve the Lord. You won't have to worry about that. If you don't, you may have to start worrying, okay? So many have misunderstood this section of Scripture. They've applied it where it should not be applied. Well, if God is for us in this corporate plan, in his church, his body, again, the branch 
can do as it pleases, okay? So who can be against us? Who? The one who's in Christ is being conformed, not the practicing sinner, not the hypocrite and the carnal, lukewarm, and those practicing sin and saying, Lord, Lord, and oh, I'm once saved, always saved, and all that kind of baloney. Okay, I'm talking about bad baloney because they're not of him anymore. Mm-hmm. And this people, he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the Son. That's the one he's talking about, not the one walking in the flesh. Now, Paul already told us, if you walk according to the flesh, you will die. If you put the death, the works of the flesh, by the Spirit, you'll live. He's talking to the Christian. You must overcome the lower nature. You cannot let it rule you. It doesn't have that power unless you give it to it, okay? So not those who profess Christianity, but those who follow and are led and have Christ in them. That negates most who claim to be Christians. A sad fact, but that's the truth. It's when we live. So again, he's telling us who can be against that person because God is for that person. He's in union with that person. He abides in them, and he said he manifests his love, and they're in him, and he's in them. And we, as we know, the Trinity is made, the Father, Son, he said we will come and live in him. He doesn't say it's three different gods. He says we. He claims to be the Almighty. Isaiah says he is the everlasting Father. And Paul makes it very plain, and the Lord is that Spirit. What Spirit? the Holy Spirit. See, he's so in union with them. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So he died for everybody, but he's mainly here, he's referring to the Christian. He gave him for us to save us and that he can freely give us his blessings, his spiritual helps, his person. See, he can do this because his son paved the way. Okay. So God's plan was to sacrifice his son for our sins and deliverance. In doing so, he frees us from all things of this world and the evil nature that we can live in him. We have that ability and choice. He appeals to our will. He says, sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because you don't give it dominion. And if you give it dominion and obey unrighteousness, then Paul said that grace isn't working. Okay? Look at Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 5. Okay, up here again, through him, he freely gives us all things. Now, He's not talking about prosperity and materialism and the things of this world. He's not talking about those things. Those things come and go. They're not eternal, okay? He's talking about spiritual things, but he's placed us in Christ, okay? By his divine power, he has given us all things. What's all things? That pertain to life and godliness, Oh, these people come to the Lord. Oh, now he's going to prosper me and bless me, and I'm a king's kid, and I'm going to have the happiness of both worlds. You have been deceived. You're still of the world. You love the world. 
you're materialistic, which is covetousness. And Paul said, and you know no covetous person who is an idolater has any inheritance in God. So if you get too involved in materialism and covetousness, that's telling you something, okay? He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. To live godly in Christ and to have Christ's life in us, he's given us what's necessary, okay? Through the knowledge. This is experimental, experienced knowledge, not head knowledge, of him who called us by glory and virtue. He called us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he called us for. Not to rubber stamp what we want, not to live like the devil and have salvation. He talked about that kind of garbage. Okay. By which we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises. The promises are to his. And some of the promises are very blessed. And some are good, even though they have a negative connotation. The negatives are just as good at times. You forsake the Lord, he says, he'll forsake you. That's a promise. You don't abide in the vine, he'll cut you off. The Father will. That's a promise. He promises that too. Okay. It keeps us in line. Okay. We are to serve the Lord with godly fear and reverence. We are to fear sin and disobeying, because that's what will separate us from God. That's what we're going to see. And through these promises, you are to partakers of the divine nature. Christ in you. That's being partakers of the divine nature. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit abiding in us as the helper. Uh-huh. That's the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption of the world through lust or evil, impure desire. That's what he intends. So if the person is still living in corruption and practicing the gross sins, he is not a Christian. I don't care what anybody tells you. He's a child of the devil who'll tell you that. He's a misleaded child of the devil. John said, if you don't walk in righteousness, you don't have him. He makes it very plain. He's talking about practical holiness and purity and righteousness, not some lip service. Let's take a break here.